Latner, the gap to Hamilton was 4.8, 4.8. I think that's a podium, mate. I think that's a podium. Well, I don't know, I don't want to celebrate too much here, but... Oh, I'm so out of breath. Oh, yes, boys! <laughs> Are those tears, mate? No, oh, definitely not! <laughs> GG, boys. Got milk? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. This is going to be a marathon one, boys. Hello, everybody. Hi, I'm Andre Harrison, your friendly neighbourhood host, and welcome to episode 245, and I guess 246, of Motorsport 101. Hello! Um, thanks for listening in again, as always. We have an awful lot to get to. We're going to be sitting down here for not one, but two episode tapings right here and now. We'll... Uh, Patch enough, we'll patch up something in post-production for the second part of this one. But 2.45 is going to be all around the Austrian Grand Prix and all the shenanigans that went on during that. And, well, somebody cue the ABBA music because uh, somebody heard the drums. Fernando. He'll be back too and we'll talk all about that. It's not like we haven't got a resident uh, Alonso stand in our current presenting lineup. No, nobody... Uh... Nobody's currently recording this episode with an Alonzo hat on. No, never. Nope. Couldn't imagine <laughs> it. Couldn't even imagine it. The benefits of is, is this podcast now being a partly visual medium on Discord. We, we, we would never guess. I mean, it was never going to be me now, was it, for fuck's sake? Right. So, <laughs> oh, and a listener. A listener in full Alonzo gear. Hello, Charlie. Uh, my, my man went all the way with that. I don't know if I to admire that or to cast him into the second layer of the sin bin for that, but here we are. No, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you got the memo. You're not allowed to wear ING... Uh... Renault gear anymore. Something about a uh, scandal. Mm, mm. Car in the wall. Also, we should also point out that the server isn't called the Sin Bin anymore. <laughs> I swear to fucking God, King. <laughs> Can I just say, I wasn't around for this. Whose idea was it for the name before I say what it was renamed to? Like, who? whose idea was it? Oh, it was RJ's. I'm not surprised in the slightest. Uh, no, no, no. That one was actually King's idea. Oh, was it now? Because yeah. I know, cause yeah. I, know I didn't change it. It's- Cam didn't change when we were watching the race together it, 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 been, it has been renamed it is now no longer the sin bin that is called the sin bin otto i can't possibly imagine why it got renamed over the course of this weekend with me as always is rj o'connell hello sir uh there was a point in time yesterday where all i could do was react in nothing but stephen a smith memes and one really resonated with me I'm, I'm a bit sad. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm quite devastated. <laughs> we'll get into that as we discuss the Alonso news. One of many F1 and F1 adjacent topics we'll be talking. We got F1, we got F2, and F3. All the Fs are back in the chat. Yes! <laughs> We're back. Glory to the glorious Fs. Uh, speaking of which, Cam Buckley, hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Um, You know... I've got a glitching brake pedal and no actual car. 
And I could have scored as many points as Red Bull did on Sunday. <laughs> Which was zero! Zero. <laughs> Double donut. Which is the exact number of goals that Newcastle United scored tonight. Ooh. Not, 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 not a good night for, 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 for Northerners everywhere. And Ryan King is also here. Hello, sir. Yes, I, I'm glad to be here. I, I am not showing my face out of shame, out of why, what why, what, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want receipts, King. Why are you not showing your face? I am disappointed by what occurred in Formula Two over the weekend. Oh, uh, oh, <laughs> oh is this... and now, na- na- now a certain driver that I was caping for in Formula Two. Probably won't be in. No, nah, no, nah, he's definitely not gonna be in Formula One next year. And who could that be, King? A, a, a certain, a certain driver who was slighted over the weekend. Uh, a one Guan Yu Zhao. Oh, <laughs> struck him out. Who slighted him worse, Renault or his car? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I, I feel like. We'll get into it, but I feel like it was his car. Just just putting that out early. Car yeah. failures were a common theme this weekend, as it turns out. Formula 2 and 3, and of course in Formula 1, a race with nine retirements. Nine technical <laughs> DNFs. You, you hate to see it. Uh, we'll get into all of that very, very briefly um, as well. Again, as mentioned, Formula 2 and Formula 3 will feature as well. And, again, a special news story on the return of one Fernando Alonso. Let's get the housekeeping out of the way real quick. Uh, We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, If everyone, if all the other co-hosts can forgive me a little bit of self-indulgence for the next couple of minutes, I would just like to say an incredibly hearty thank you to everyone that has subscribed over there in the last week. I have gotten a... And I stress this, like, very, very strongly, a nuclear fuckton of attention in the last week and a half. It has been uh, colossal. And I'm not going to toot my own horn too hard because this really isn't about me. Um, But let's just say, like, I've come up a lot in people's uh, searches for... Oh my god, who's the black F1 influencers around here? And it looks like my name's been thrown around in an awful lot of circles. Um, Follow King 2, you cowards! Um, But um, in the meantime, um, thank you. Uh, Guys like Chain Bear, guys like John T has done an incredible job. Um, Hazel's plugged the shit out of me. Um, Luke Smith has done a phenomenal job getting the word out, saying, oh my god, check out Harrison's work, and I'm like, what? Like, man's, man's hopping in my DMs now, talking to me about shit, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later, um, but uh, it's it, it's been a wild ride, there are f- three new videos up on the YouTube channel um, with, with probably more coming, um, i.e., a full review of Austria, talking about the off-track nature of Formula 1's return as well. Um, and, of course, the video on Alonso's comeback as well. That's, that went up literally about an hour ago. Um, 
So all of that fun stuff is on there. Over an hour's worth of content. I mean, if you want to listen to me for an hour straight, then God help you. But uh, it is all available if if you want to see it. Um, we, I crossed personally. I crossed three thousand Twitter followers um, as well over the course of the weekend, which is just nuts. I was at I was at twenty eight hundred last week. I'm now at nearly three thousand two hundred, which is just nuts. It's like people are like. Like, oh my god, that guy's following me and that person's following me. Like I've seen you around. It's 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 crazy and they all just want to talk to me about stuff now and it's been a little bit overwhelming. So thank you to everybody for that. I I promise it's incredibly motivating and I will absolutely continue to try and you know tackle subjects that, you know, a lot of people on the F one side of the internet don't touch and probably should to be honest but you know it's it's a step in the right direction and i can't ask for any more than that at least in the interim so thank you to everybody involved I, again i can only say if you if you're following me please follow all my other co-hosts as well particularly king if you're looking for some black influence on f1 which because sadly there really isn't that much of it in the grand scheme of things and that's disappointing i haven't listened to hours of video content featuring the sultry voice of one-time prospective american tennis legend ryan eric king (laughs) (laughs) i would too king jesus speak up a bit more it's great um they're not gonna kill you Maybe. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, enough of that. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow our personal handles, you can. At Harrison101HD, at CBuckby917, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell. Um, if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of our episodes um, before they go out, uh, as well as the tender level, which gets you uh, into the supporters club of our Discord server. You can listen to and actually now watch these shows live as they're being recorded. It is a fun time indeed. Shout out to everybody in the chat watching along right now. You guys are great. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And again, you can find all those details and a whole lot more on our website, motorsport101.com. So, without further ado... After the break, we'll get back and we'll start talking about Formula One. It's back, and it's the Austrian Grand Prix, part one. Well, we... We were doing this race an injustice if we didn't talk about some of the drama that went down before this race even started. Um, we all meant, we all knew this was going to be a interesting return for Formula One in the wake of a lot of uh, race race related protests, um, and a lot of us were scratching our heads thinking what was Formula One going to do. Um, we got the all-round positive news about um, extra details about the re-racers one campaign that Formula One has had started up. Um, that was a big deal. Um, again, a personal contribution of one million dollars from CEO Chase Carey, but tackling a lot of the key areas that I think a lot of us wanted Formula One to go into, i.e., 
promotion of media uh, was a key part of their uh, was a key part of their manifesto. Promotion of media from minority backgrounds. Um, hey, uh, uh, Chase, if you're watching, uh, hi. Uh, very inclusive over here, you know. Just, 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 just setting the word out there. Um, as well as accessibility in karting, accessibility in schools, and pushing um, for ethnic minority backgrounds to attempt to get into STEM careers, like and for those guys who don't know, STEM stands for science, engineering, technology, and maths based subjects. Um, as mentioned, accessibility to karting, as well as um, um, diversity within the sport, in the back offices, in other jobs and roles as well. This would go hand-in-hand hand with Mercedes that made an even bigger um, shockwave by... Uh, and uh, somebody hold King for a minute, because this involves his beloved Silver. Um, that, <laughs> the, beloved, uh, the beloved Silver Arrows... No longer silver. It's no longer silver for this for the 2020 season. They have repainted their livery black. Um, King, have you, have, you, have you come over this process yet? Have you, uh, how's the grieving process? Oh, uh, no, I'm hyped. Black arrows, let's go. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they actually, uh, the, the car came out looking very slick. Oh, it looks fantastic. fantastic. The only eyesore is the red Ineos uh, stripe <laughs> over the top. The thing is, it actually, it looks good on the front wing and on the rear wing end plates, but on the engine cover, it just looks weird. It's a little bit out of I place. like the look of the car. It's, it's a great looking livery. One of the best of the year, as far as I'm concerned. But... There was more meaning to this than just painting the car black and slapping end racism on the wing mirrors. They, uh, and this was quite shocking to read, but you know, I to a degree I applaud Mercedes for having the balls of being the only team to to do this. But they released a statement alongside, and they broke down the diversity numbers of of within their own team, and it was startling. Like I, I knew it was bad. I didn't know just how bad this was. They admitted that 97% of their team are white. Only 3% of their team hail from a from an ethnic minority background, and they also admitted that 88% of their team identify as men. And, uh, oh boy, that was uh, eye-raising, to say the least. Um, and... Toto Wolf, statements from Toto, statements from Lewis, statements from Valtteri, all alongside it. Mercedes announced they're going to be opening their own inclusion and diversity program to increase um, their diversity within their company going forward. Um, and I've promised a commitment to making real change because Toto more or less admitted we can't be about this, we can't support this without looking at our own, looking in the mirror essentially and seeing that look, we're part of the problem here. Our team is 97% white. Um, and props to them for, you know, props to them for taking the steps to look at themselves and publicly admit, hey, we got to do better. Yeah. We need to be part of this movement as one, well. One of the many, many key factors of the Black Lives Matter protests um, and and a, a big element of that has been, has been about accountability. Um, in many, many facets and walks of life. And Merck's, as far as I'm aware, and I think I'm right in saying, they're the only team that's come out and admitted that, you know, they, they've admitted their numbers and they said, we're going to work and commit to fixing the problem. And I applaud them for that because that is a big self-own to admit that you're 97% white. And, uh, yeah, we need to do better and that we're part of the problem. So... 
you know, obviously a long way to go. Obviously, you know, I think F1 Media, I hope, takes the accountability themselves to keep tabs on this and to keep it going. Because, again, this is not going to be an overnight process. This is going to take years for this to implement and change and plan. I mean, F1's Re-Races 1 program is a five-year plan they said they're going to try and they're going to check back in 2025 on this um but Merckx has committed to tackling the problem committed to opening this diversity program before the end of the year so again a a big step in the right direction like I said the entire car was repainted black black live um black racing suits for their drivers for the season um both Merckx drivers having uh uh, positive uh, inclusivity messages. Uh, Bottas had stronger together on the back of his helmet with uh, hands of many different colours. And uh, Hamilton did not hold back. Full raised fist and Black Lives Matter logo on the top of I his helmet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, well done, Lewis. Like that, that man has no chill anymore, and I am here for it. Uh, it's almost perfect. The only thing that would have been better is if he would have gotten uh, one of the uh, secondary sponsors on the helmet uh to change their name from police eyewear to defund the police i bet that would have gone over well um <laughs> oh lord because like, like this, it, it's the thing it's like from a british standpoint a lot of these um protests have died down and a lot of people have unfortunately walked it back because black lives matter uk tweeted a message last week essentially saying free palestine and all these big name companies are like whoa wait a minute here <laughs> like you're gone too far this time boys we don't want we don't want to get into a political fight and then the bbc banned black lives matter badges on their broadcasts and sky had to come out and release a statement saying yeah we're going to agree with we're still going to have a program to improve diversity within our own network um because hey brackets have you ever seen Karoon Channel get so much airtime before a race weekend? Um, <laughs> and But they didn't want to say that they also had to come out and say we don't agree with, you know, making, quote, political statements. Because we, if anyone, including that government, will tell you, uh, Israel's apparently a no-go area these days. Um, ask the Shadow Cabinet all about that one. But... Uh, yeah, it, it was good to see that uh, Hamilton was leading the charge on this one. That leads us to Sunday uh, Sunday morning. Um, by now, Formula 1 had already said that the drivers will be allowed to take any form of protest that they choose without any fear of repercussion or penalty or fine or whatever. Um, there was backstage meetings. Well, now we know there was certainly backstage talks between the entire drivers, um, between the GPDA um and I, I i i salute these two because the the two current drivers that are the that make up the free man head of the council is romain grosjean and sebastian vettel and they both suggested to everyone in the room why don't we take a knee um he, apparently hamilton didn't even ask um like it was grosjean and vettel's idea to say why don't we take a knee Apparently some dude spoke out against this, and you'll remember this, it becomes important later, unfortunately, but um, we saw it... It split the room. Yeah, it... it, it going going by the comments that were made on Twitter before the race itself, uh, that came out of, I think, about an hour of the race even starting, these, these comments certainly split the room. 
Um, Formula One put an end racism banner on the front of the grid, um, you know, where the national anthem was normally conducted. All 20 drivers wore end racism t-shirts that the uh, merchandise saw quickly drummed up. Um, <laughs> well, well played, boys. Um, all 20 of them wore t-shirts. However, when they got to the front of the grid before the national anthem, only 14 of them took an actual knee. Now, the six drivers who didn't take a knee were both Alfa Romeos, Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi, Max Verstappen, uh, Charles Leclerc, Daniel Kvyat, and Carlos Sainz. Now, I, I this was a big part of the video that I made talking about this, and I found this infuriating to watch. Um, it was uh, honestly a part of me was like, "Thank God, Sebastian took a knee." <laughs> I was like, "No, we we should mention mm, that mm. some drivers tried to head it off at the pass by." Mm saying ahead of time that they weren't going to take a knee, including one at Charles Leclerc, where <sighs> Charles tweeted, quote, I believe what matters are the facts and behaviors in our daily life, rather and- than formal gestures that could be seen as controversial in some countries. Now, I will not take the knee, but this but this does not mean I'm less committed than others in the fight against racism. Yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my response to that was, if you're not willing to perform a formal gesture against racism because it could be controversial, then why should I expect you to take real action against racism? It was disappointing. Yeah, as King alluded to, the two main guys that tweeted ahead of time, I think I think Verstappen hit up his Instagram as well, was was Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. And they were, they, they were yeah. with, again, relatively wishy-washy statements along the lines of, Everyone's right to protest in their own way. I will not be taking a knee, but I'm still committed to ending racism. And I, I we've uh, we've heard comments from Max before about certain countries. Hi, Brazil. Hi, Brazil. Yeah, so, and a lot I of people uh, have been in my in my mentions saying that the drivers are free to do so because of cultural reasons uh, but like the last time i checked uh you know grosjean and vettel the people leading this initiative are from france and germany and france and germany are not that different culturally from the netherlands right from italy from spain why in particular were those drivers not willing to do it they're hiding behind like really vague excuses of cultural sensitivity when people from cultures extremely similar to theirs have no issue at all. Yeah, the, the, the arguments don't hold up. Don't they also have ties with Italy, which is also a country which, and I know this is not reflective in their entire populace, because I know there are some people that are sick of this shit, but Italy has a pretty bad problem with race relations and major sport. Yeah. Yeah, I, I pointed out on the Discord server of the drivers who didn't take part, obviously the one outlier is Max Verstappen, uh, but I'm pretty sure the Netherlands speaks for themselves. They uh, did. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so the drivers who stood, uh, Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi, you know, you know, Gino, Alfa Romeo Giovinazzi's, Giovinazzi's Italian. Uh, right, Kimi's, works for yeah, Alpha. Alpha spent so much time at Ferrari. Better part of a decade uh, in total in Italian teams. Leclerc drives for Ferrari. 
last time he drove for like a non-Italian team was back in GP3 almost five years ago now. Uh, uh, then we have Carlos Sainz Jr., who uh, is going to race for Ferrari next year. Mm-hmm. And Carlos uh, Sainz Jr., who spoke for himself earlier this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was a, and, for those guys who don't know, um, yeah, he made a xenophobic joke towards the Chinese on his Instagram page in a video promoted by sponsor Estrella Galicia back in April. And Kvyat drives for an Italian team himself and probably would have been under an Italian license if he couldn't race under Russia. Yeah. So there are ties there. All this is not like justifications. It, got, it kind of provides a deeper explanation. Um, but yeah, they're disappointing on their parts. And I think they're going to look back at this in time and think, damn, we, we really should have done better on this. But like, just, just looking into it deeper, it shows that there is a serious problem. Especially when you saw, I mean, there was, the, the discourse on social media was very split on this between lots of support and lots of vitriol. Yeah, let's just say my cards were marked on this one. A couple of them not kneeling didn't surprise me. Verstappen didn't surprise me. Signs didn't surprise me. Um, the one that got me was Leclerc. That one, that one hurt. I thought Leclerc was in touch with a lot of modern people, given his Twitch streams, given that he was one of the first guys to really speak out for Black Lives Matter on Twitter. Um... I thought, the, and, and, and when Leclerc did speak about it, he acknowledged that he had not used his platform correctly. He acknowledged that he had gotten it wrong. It gave off the impression that he was listening and that he was going to do something about it. But when the chips were down, he he caved. He caved in, and he didn't do it because he didn't like like. King made that very, very pertinent tweet regarding it during the weekend. I had my own where I said, where would taking a knee be deemed controversial, Charles? Like, that's nonsense. There's no country that all of a sudden takes a knee as disrespectful. Like, there isn't one. It it doesn't exist. That excuse doesn't hold up. If you can't be... If you can't make a public gesture as simple as taking a knee when your sport just deemed it socially acceptable, yeah, yeah, we've come a long, a long fucking way since yeah. Colin Formula Kaepernick One, was blackballed out of one. Right, Formula One made it a point that shit. morning that if you want to, you can. Yeah, like, I forgot who I pointed out to on, on Twitter, but it was pretty much like, F1 created the world's safest place to protest. Like, There's no fans. <laughs> yeah. They said they will, like, you can do what you want. We will protect you. Right. And if you can't be trusted to do that, how can we trust you to hold up to your word and do the things in everyday life that you say you are going to do, that you say are important? Yeah, if if you're not willing to do it in front of a TV camera, in front of millions of people around the world... For good publicity! Why should I trust you that you're going to do it in your everyday life when no one's watching? Yeah, right. Exactly, because we all know people's true personalities come out when the cameras aren't rolling. And if, if if you can't do that in public, the first question I posed in my video was, why was wearing a t-shirt okay, but taking a knee wasn't okay? Like, what changed? Like, what? Like, what? 
like was wearing a shirt saying end racism like that's okay but like you didn't want to take a knee like why was the knee we, we didn't even mention it with lewis hamilton um the, the t-shirt that everyone else wore was end racism Hamil- lewis yeah. said fuck them kids and wore a full-blown black lives matter t-shirt yeah like i, I think the reason you see that is this Kind of, you know, the same reason why no one has a problem with, like, UEFA's old respect campaign, where players have the plausible deniability of saying, oh, I just have to do this because they're making me do it. Yeah, and I I found it disappointing. Like, like I, I, I made comparisons to the Premier League, who are still taking knees before kickoffs, over a month since they restarted the or nearly a month since they restarted the league back in June. Like the the day I recorded the video, the, or the night before was Liverpool playing Aston Villa a week after they just won the Premier League title for the first time in thirty years, and they were still taking a knee before kickoff. Except Sadio Mane, they didn't get the picture and tried running across the halfway line when the game started. That was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play to him. Um, he, he quickly walked back and kneeled. Um, so he, 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 did, he, he, re- he clocked on what was going on, bless him. But the, And again, people are going to hate me for making this comparison. Hi, NASCAR Twitter. But when Bubba Wallace was the alleged, you know, was alleged to have been the victim of a hate crime, what did we see? Pretty much the entire NASCAR paddock stand by him, including every single driver on the roster. And then when F1 comes around a week late or two weeks later, only 70% of the grid was willing to take a knee. It's a bad fucking look for everybody and involved. we're talking like, about... When it's such a bad look that friend of the show, Luke Smith, in a column on Autosport Plus, pointed out, like you said, no player so far in the Premier League has refused to take a knee. Like, it's a real Everyone. bad look. <laughs> and we're talking about NASCAR. Which for decades was a safe space for racist bullshit. Right. And we'll be talking more about that, unfortunately, later. Thanks, President. But, the yeah, you're absolutely right. And, yeah, it was... It was the whole part of the TIFF that mentioned this is like, yeah, why is it like every footballer was on the same page? No, And the King's absolutely right. No Premier League footballer has refused to take a knee. Everybody was on the same page on this one. I wonder if that's down to locker rooms and the fact that there are probably more black players in the Premier League. There's way more of a ratio of black players in the Premier League and in world football compared to Formula 1. So there was probably a lot more conversations about it um, in the, probably there compared to Formula 1. And if I can make one more comparison... Cricket got back undergoing in the UK today. Sadly, mostly washed out. But England and the West Indies had played, uh, are playing their first of three tests in a series. And all of both the England and the West Indies team, all their staff, all the coaches, they all took a knee before the first ball was bowled this afternoon. And trust me, take it from me, a British man, cricket is about as white a sport as it gets. And they were but all you, on the you same know, page. You know what the real bad part about this is, right? The fact that you you can't say you didn't do it because of fearing that you'd lose your job or sponsors. No. Because all of Formula One sponsors are on board with this. We saw branding. We saw We Races One branding in the style 
of all F1's global partners, from DHL in the Netherlands to Saudi Aramco. Right. Like, if you can't take a knee, it is not because of money. Because what sponsor is is going to dare come out and say, we're not behind not being racist? Like, and and that, that's the funniest part of all this. And the point I made in the video was, what the hell were you scared of? Like, who were you afraid of pissing off? And then I immediately thought, is this Formula One's Republicans buy sneakers 2 moment? Because that's what this felt like. It felt like the six guys who did not kneel. And again, I could run through them again. But, like, I know it's part of Kimi Raikkonen's brand to just not give a shit about anything, and I found that disappointing for a grown-ass man of 40 with a wife and two kids. I'm shocked that Daniel Kvyat didn't do it, because he seems he seemed like a, like a well-rounded young man with a good head on his shoulders. That disappointed me, especially given he's one of the younger guys in the field, and his teammate Pierre Gasly took a knee. Because that's the point I made in the video. Nine of the ten teams had at least one driver prepared to take yeah, a no. knee. So what the hell no, were you afraid of? At, the, at Red yeah, Bull the Racing, way. they cut back to further down the grid. Yeah. The entire team took a knee Red and Bull Max Racing. didn't. Like, you know how embarrassing that is now for Max? That his entire team was on par and he was the only one who wasn't? Wow. It's a terrible look. And this, and I don't know why they thought that, like, somehow tweeting about it, tweeting through it an hour ahead of time was going to soften the blow. If anything, it kind of made me just like, I don't know if I really want to watch this. It just, it just made people ask more questions. Yeah, it made people ask more questions. And, and nobody else. One them. of the people who, one of the people who disappointed me, uh, despite taking a knee, was Lando Norris. Yeah. Saying, not not to question these people to to you know you know not question the people who don't take a knee and i feel like that that's defeating the purpose of this whole initiative right. to question things like this we need to have hard conversations about this we need to tear this band-aid off and sit down and fucking talk about this the last thing we should be doing is trying to silence people because the whole point of this is about accountability, checking your privilege, and seeing what you can do to make the world a better place. The last thing we should be doing is putting a muzzle on people and saying, ah, don't worry, don't come after them for not protesting. No, I want to sit down and say to these guys, why did you wear a t-shirt, but then you but then you couldn't be bothered to fucking kneel? It pisses me off. And Lando... I'm glad he did take it, because like I think, like I said, he sounded like he wasn't going to when he put that tweet out about an hour before the race, but actually did. But I, I, I get that I think he wanted to stand up for his fellow driver, and just I think he's the sort of young man that just doesn't want to see abuse happen on the internet, and, I, and to a degree, I'm giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt he probably doesn't deserve, because... I like yeah, I like cause... I like Lando, and he seems like a good kid. And the way he moderates his streams says to me, he's not an idiot, and he's got th- a good yeah. head on his shoulders. I, I think that kind of speaks to it. Is the way he mo- he has his Twitch chat moderated is that he just doesn't want to see hate thrown his fellow drivers' way. But but this is not hate. Uh, this is asking. This, this is this is not it. This is asking a genuine standing up. Yeah. Standing up for human rights is not controversial. No, it should not yeah. be controversial. It should never and, be. like that. That is one of the biggest parts of this present moment. Is that hey, 
we have to have these hard discussions. You can't choose not to be involved because this is for the people who don't have that option, like me and Dre, who don't have the option not to be involved. No, because we know we know what we're getting into as a sport, as you know, as black fans of this sport. In in our case, beyond that, black influencers within this sport and we we were under no illusions to what as to what this sport was it was white as fuck and and, and, we, and we and we all know that and anyone it with and anyone with half a head screwed on knew that going in I, and i mentioned it on my piece the benefit of the doubt on the website last week we don't have the luxury of being of being able to opt out of these conversations we it's it's for us it's a regular part of our lives having to explain to my mum that yeah the six time double championship winning team and maybe the best f1 team we've ever seen is 97% white like how how does that make me feel as a black fan knowing that this is your idea of excellence a team that is virtually entirely white. It ain't. It, it's not great. And look, I I don't even like calling myself a journalist in this space because I'm not in the trenches every week. I'm not one of these guys that's going to be down there every week interviewing the drivers. You know, rubbing shoulders with anything. Well, well, no one's down there right no, now. Well, you, yeah, reasons. good point. Exactly. <laughs> Very true. So, I'm um, the, say the the new tre- the new trenches are Zoom calls. Yes, very much so. <laughs> like uh, MotoGP's been full of them for the last couple of weeks. But yeah, you're absolutely right. But at the same time, that was this was the first weekend where I, where I wanted to say to myself, God, I wish I was down there. Well, I wish I was in that paddock and in that media center so I could just stick a mic in someone's face and say and say to Max Verstappen's face, "Why did you not take a knee?" And and the thing is, somebody did press him about that, and he said. Talking about racism is complicated. Why? Why, why is it complicated, Max? Like, like why? Like and again, again, I'll I'll say it. Um, ending racism is not a political issue; it's a human rights issue. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> that, that is a basic. It's one of the most basic human rights imaginable to treat everybody equally, and you can't even make a public statement towards that. It was pathetic, and. And I do not understand how we could not have gotten 20 Formula 1 drivers on the same page when every other sport has seemed to manage of doing precisely that. And Even fucking NASCAR. NASCAR! Who stereotypically we've raked over the coals, rightly so, for their awful racial treatment and segregation within their own sport. Even they had the right idea going into Talladega. And don't get me wrong, they're far from perfect in all of this. And we'll get to that later. But when you lose your moral high ground to NASCAR, you have gone badly wrong on this one. Goes back to my point from last week. If the stereotypical NASCAR... If the stereotypical negative image of a NASCAR fan is an uneducated Trump supporter... The image of a bigoted F1 fan is a Steven Crowder or Ben Shapiro. It's a bigot with more money and more education. Pretty much. And that was disappointing to see. As the dregs of the Verstappen fandom came and showed their ass on Twitter... Yeah, because there was a hashtag that was trending in the, in the in the Netherlands during that race, and I can't remember the exact hashtag, but I know that friend of the show, Vanka Elena, translated it into, "quote Don't kneel for idiots." Now, 
I don't think I need to explain too deeply how that is a fucking problem. I don't want to try and throw an entire country under the bus here, but when that is a trending topic in your country... It wasn't a small amount of people. It's a, it's yeah, cl- it was more than a small amount of people. More, much more than a small amount. Yeah, it's clearly a significant part of that country, and they are having to face their own hard problem right now because one of their big Christmas traditions in that country is blackface over Christmas. And, a, and there's been a lot of hard conversations about getting that banned because we've seen that as quite a common, uh, shall we say, way of celebrating like a Halloween party in, in, in Western culture, like with Jimmy Kimmel and Justin Trudeau and Antoine Griezmann, who, who had his own, you know, Harlem Globetrotters moment a couple of years ago. Like, you know, as it turns out, racism is not just a regional delicacy of the United States. Who would have ever guessed? <laughs> it's a big part of European culture, too. I know Spain has done that, and it's the one black mark yeah. I've got against Mark Marquez as a human being, is that he's taken part in it, too. And, you know, it is probably just a part of their culture they've adopted and not thought about very much, but these are now growing-ass adults who should be able to read the room and see what the significant problems are with saying, oh, I'm totally not about that whole racism thing, and then blacking their faces up. So because it's tradition! Um, ask the Washington football franchise, who are going through their own process of maybe having to change their team name. It goes on. and We can list another half a dozen examples, but we're already 40 minutes deep into this podcast as it is. But, Good lord. But, yeah. but we, had, we had to talk about this, because this was a bad look for everybody involved in informal it's a bad look for the standing sits yeah and it's our hope that they'll like think about this and like with a lot of regret and reflection and be better about it next time fair to say i hope yeah, so yeah. but i'm not holding out much hope where that's concerned Should we talk about the actual race itself? Oh, man. The racing. <laughs> I think we have some more drama, albeit within the paddock, to oh. uh, talk about. Oh. Protest time! Uh, oh, yeah. We had... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Got so, qualifying. Qualifying. Yeah. We didn't even... No, before qualifying. Remember Das? Remember how that was going to be a big deal when that uh, das, then das, coronavirus das, happened? Gonna step so, on the yeah, basically... It, it wasn't... A lot of media outlets reported it as a protest. It was not a protest. Red Bull did not protest the DOS system. They wanted clarifications on the parameters that people could use on a DOS system, potentially. Oh, no, they they did protest. They said it that it broke, I believe, um, Article 3.8 of the regulations and the suspension adjustments while in motion regulations. They actually did upgrade it to a full-blown protest. And we didn't even get to FP3 before the FIA said, "Nah, it didn't even. It's fine. It didn't even make yeah, Saturday cool. morning. <laughs> like they lodged a protest, yeah, and then like it, Friday night it was thrown out. They were like they, they completely as a this disclaimer is not founded, and that was the end of the discussion. <laughs> like that was it. Yep. Yeah. No more protests for the rest of the weekend. Um, oh, hold up. Because of the way DAS works, 
it only really affects the toe. You're only you're kind of steering the wheels, but in a different direction. Yeah, it and only so, affects the toe. It doesn't affect any other parts of the suspension. Yeah, so is, it falls under steering, not suspension. It is kosher until it is banned next year, which has already been addressed. Indeed. This made Red Bull a little bit salty for the rest of the weekend. Just a touch. Now, we have qualifying, and Valtteri Bottas qualifies on pole position, his 12th career pole, narrowly beating Lewis Hamilton by a hundredth of a second. The big shock in that one was, oh my god, Ferrari really are as bad as we thought they were. Leclerc limping into Q3, oh. eventually qualifying seventh. Vettel not even making Q3, knocked out of the death by Alex Albon. Um, he qualified in 11th. But uh, yeah, Bottas taking Hamilton, um, Verstappen third, Norris fourth, Albon fifth. Uh, Perez up in there is sick for the racing points. So yeah, again, racing points early pace was proven to be completely valid. All ahead of Charles Leclerc in seventh. However, Red Bull launched another protest. Regarding- oh, because man, we had an eventful end of Q3. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Valtteri Bottas grass trimming, which I thought was quite funny. Mm-hmm. There was waved yellows in the area, um, mm-hmm. and Lewis Hamilton does or does not lift in that yellow flag area. Now, Red Bull launched a protest. Clearly, they they, they suspected something was was, uh, was a suspected foul play. Um, it was taken to the stewards Saturday night. It was thrown out. No further action. The stewards claimed that because there was mixed signals, i.e., there was a green flag waved in the area and claimed that because his dash was reading yellow, it's a very conflicting scenario. They gave Hamilton the benefit of the doubt. Um, the general principle being that flags supersede lights. Um, if you remember, if, if you might remember the uh, Alonso Vettel 2012 title showdown in Brazil, where this also came up. Um, so yeah, generally, general rule of thumb: flags supersede lights. Um, and that was deemed no further action. then Red Bull found a tape? <laughs> no, Red Bull did not find a tape, actually. Uh, Formula One themselves put out the video on social media, and Red Bull used it as evidence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think as I know a couple of the guys that run F1 social media, you bunch of snitches. Um, <laughs> they put... They put they put um, security camera footage of Hamilton going through that area, appearing not to be uh, slowing down very much in a yellow flag zone. Red Bull used that 360 degree camera as evidence. They they counter protested the, the they counter protested the um, appealed the decision. Stewards used the new evidence and they gave Hamilton a three place grid penalty and two penalty points for it. Yeah, because the the damning part was that in line of sight of Lewis Hamilton was a yellow a yellow marshal board with a marshal waving a yellow flag. So. King, you know what this is like? This is like that time Renault outed their brake bias control system on their own social media. Genius. Oh, also, man. yeah. Also, this is all going down as we're going through. All the hard feelings about drivers not taking a knee. So it seems like the whole world is against Lewis Hamilton for this hour before race starts. Yeah, Hamilton eventually starting from fifth rather than third. Um, and, uh, whew, boy, uh, that bumping, uh, bumping up Verstappen to the front row. Lando Norris up to third as well. 
But uh, we had the race itself. Um, it died down for about 60 minutes. Um, it was a pretty, it was a relatively calm race for the most part until, um, well, remember Brazil three races ago last season, which again seems like a friggin' oh. almost a year ago now, but we're talking about a race that was only three races, like, it was only two rounds ago. We were talking about Brazil 2019 and that was a, how it was largely a pretty bog standard boring race until the final 12 laps. Well, um, this race had nine DNFs, and we had three (laughs) safety cars, all of them in the second half of the race. Verstappen broke down, trying to go for three in a row at this event. Mm -hmm. Um, Ricardo's engine, Ricardo had a mechanical failure. Again, Renault reliability, y'all. Great. And it's something. Uh, Stroll's engine got sick early on. He retired. Kevin Magnussen lost the brakes because it's year five of Haas and they still haven't fixed their brake problem. Uh, Grosjean ran off track and brakes, brakes as well. Brakes, his brakes. Yeah, everybody gangsta until Romain Grosjean on lap fifty. The brakes braked. The the brakes broke. <laughs> uh, George Russell was a sad one because as the attrition was piling up, it looked like he might have been in for his first points. George Russell was awesome all weekend. He was. Williams, not as bad as we thought, but the decisive <laughs> safety that? car came when Kimi Raikkonen's f- right front tire came off right in front of Sebastian Vettel, <gasps> and that triggers a safety car. Yeah, it looked like a it looked like a wheel nut failure rather than finger trouble. Yeah. Shit was bad. Yeah, like, it happened right in front of Vettel's face. We got the onboard footage, and if... Do you ever remember the onboard footage when that time Bwemi had a double suspension failure of catastrophic proportions? Uh, it, I remember it. No, that was, uh, that was Toro Rosso's DAS system back then. <laughs> <laughs> It's, 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 honestly, I, the first time I saw that video, I shit myself watching it. Like, if, if that happens to me in an F1 car, I'm never setting foot in one ever again. It's just like, nope. They had just come back off of a safety car intervention for them to bring the safety car back out. Yeah. It was one of those green flag and the green. caution comes out moments. Yeah, though, <laughs> there, there's a key move in that race that happened in that slim gap where the, there was no safety car. Mm-hmm. Alex Salbon passed Sergio Perez for fourth on for third on track. And he just pitted for soft tires. Yeah. Yeah. Um pretty much everyone barring the Mercs, which at this point we didn't mention, were having a gearbox trouble with the sensor that tells the gearbox what gear it's in, so it's quite important. Yes, um, and apparently that is a fundamental issue yes. with the car that they can't repair at the moment. Yeah, right. it is a buildup of electrical noise due to the architecture of the car. They can't fix it for the time being, so they were repeatedly telling Bottas and Hamilton to stay off the curbs. So they we come listening. off the s- <laughs> Okay, no, they weren't listening at all. In fact, Lewis had the line of, he's doing it more than I am. Of course. <laughs> Hamilton is a goddamn snitch. <laughs> teacher, oh, teaching, yeah, when, he's when, doing when it more. Li- <laughs> he did it first. Uh, yeah, I should mention that this is big foreshadowing for upcoming races. Because what I mean, they can't fix it soon. I mean, they're probably not going to be able to fix it for at least a month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this set up a charge by those who were able to put on the medium fresh mediums and fresh soft tires behind them when the first safety car came out. right albon had the strategy to win this race he did albon had the strategy to win this race the second safety car comes out 
And this sets up the two mercs crippled on old tires and Perez on old tires ahead of Albon with fresh rubber. And so pretty much uh, Mercedes, like, again, we said they weren't caring about the curves at all. Uh, Part of the reason why they weren't caring about the curves at all, they want to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. Apparently the, uh, the issue with the car is so unpredictable that Toto admitted that the that the team as a whole feared that it could cause like an instant kill, like the car would just shut off. Well, yeah, because um, if the gearbox forgets which gear it's in, it'll shut off. Bad things happen. (laughs) So yeah, the two mercs, and eventually they did start listening when they were told, "Hey, if you keep doing this, you will retire from this race." Indeed. Um, so, yeah, this, this is of uh, Valtteri and Lewis. It's James. Um, the gearbox is critical. <laughs> Please avoid the curbs. And, and, and I love that you have to add in there, and I mean the red and white curbs too. Um, <laughs> we all, yes, the red and white curbs at Austria, where they're all red and white. Yeah, precisely. So, that, again, that was fun. Just that, that was fun. Literally stay between the white line. Right. Keep it on the grey stuff, as they would say. Now... As mentioned, Albon quickly passed Perez for third on track. He's bearing down on Lewis Hamilton. This is only about a couple of laps after the restart. Um, so yeah, like Albon is trying to get past Hamilton now. In Austria, I mentioned this. In, I mentioned this in my race review. Like, it's quite easy to defend around here. You just glue your car to the right hand side of the track and force your opponent to try and go the long way around, and then run him four wheels yes. off like Verstappen did last year. Um, but, yes. uh, it, it was it was a it was a fixture of the the F two race we'll get to later, which was which was why I was really surprised that Albon tried to go for it. Yeah, so Albon the outside pass at turn three the, the, or turn four, four, which how if you consider that kink in the in the <laughs> north stretch to be a corner barely, but uh, yeah, they do need to move the steering wheel. Yeah, it it, it, it involves the move of the wheel. It'll count. Turn four. On the run, downhill, that seemed to be the most effective DRS zone, given it's downhill um, for that part of the track. Turn four, Albon goes a long way around on Hamilton, tries to go around the outside of him. We've seen this before, folks. Um, he's, he's gone around the outside. He's got, I reckon, maybe maybe two-thirds of a car in front on the exit of the corner. And it, it was front wing end plate to like the back of the rear tire. Yeah, he's got th- three quarters of a car in front, and Hamilton tags him from behind, spins Albon into the gravel, and you know it was bad when Martin Brundle screams on the live broadcast, "Not again!" Um, because yeah, for the, I mean, it was, it felt, it looked less of a tag, more like. Lewis picked the worst possible time to finally give up the position because him and Albon hooked wheels. You never want to do yeah, that. Yeah, it's a wheel hook. Albon came off the worst of it. Um, he ends up beaching the gravel. He falls to the back of the field. Hamilton's able to continue. Eventually drops out with an electrical issue, too. Yeah, that yeah, appeared to be the same issue that hit Verstappen. 
Uh, a double DNF for Red Bull Racing, unfortunately, on that one. <laughs> what a fucking disappointment! Um, I, I'll get I'll oh. get to just how much of a disappointment they are later. But uh, when we address the uh, the big red elephant in the room. Oh yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, yes, uh, Hamilton was able to continue, but the steward slapped him for the second time in three races with a five second time penalty for causing a collision. Um, now this became very important because further behind. Um, Lando Norris had just been given the hurry up by McLaren saying, look, lads, we can get a podium here. <laughs> like, Lando, well, first to the he floor. had to shoulder check his, first he had to shoulder check his way through Sergio Perez on track. Wheel bang. Yep. Then Perez is out of the picture because he got a five second time penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Yep. And then Lando Norris got the hurry up. Yeah, Racing Point raced and ran a lot better than they actually finished. Yes. On, on pace... Perez was looking at an outright podium on raw speed. Yeah. He, you know. Stroll could have gotten a top five if his engine wasn't sick. Yeah. Yeah, with, without the safety cars, if Albon's car still drops out with a, with power unit trouble, he has a podium by a fucking mile. Yeah, he does. Mercedes 1, 2, 3, yo. Yeah, it could have been Merck's power 1, 2, and 3 instead. They with two with, with two laps of clear air in front of him. They tell Lando Norris to gun it. They dump the entire electrical supply for those two laps, and this, yep. this and he he doesn't have to worry about saving his tires to move his car physically around another one. He just needs to beat a time delta. Yeah, it's a delta. Can you match this delta? And um, Lando puts his foot to the floor. And on the final lap of the race, sets the fastest lap of the race and gets underneath the window, 4.802 behind Hamilton. Lando Norris is an F1 podium finisher. <laughs> In just his 20-second career start. Screamed. I, I think he probably pre- I think he pressed the overtake button through his steering wheel on that last lap. <laughs> <laughs> like he he punched it like like something out of like an anime cartoon. It was just like uh, <laughs> he hammered it and he and it. he got there. Ironically, the exact same fastest lap as last year's Austrian Grand Prix, a one hundred seven point four seven five. It got him. 4.8 seconds behind Hamilton, and that was enough for a podium. And if you've seen the clips on, on social media, McLaren went absolutely potty over this in the garage. Oh, oh I love... Uh, now, we didn't mention Lando had qualified P4 for this race. Mm, yeah. And in an interview, he's doing an interview, I think it was with Sky Sports, mm. and Zach Brown walks up with a phone. Hey, uh, it's the Crown Prince of Bahrain. He wants to talk to you. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you do. The, the Bahrain royal family Lando wants a word. Was, <laughs> Lando was phenomenal this weekend. It, it, he was. It, it, was the Land, it was the Lando Norris coming out party, yo. Um, he was superb. And again, just his 22nd career start, let's not forget. Um, and yeah, as Lando put on eloquently on his Twitter afterwards, full-time professional Twitch streamer to F1 podium finisher in the space of three months. You love to see it. Did you know that like three years ago, Lando Norris was sitting in the gravel trap at this track, feeling sad because he crashed out of a Formula 3 race? Right. That's where we got the Lando Norris meme. That's where he became the memester. That was his first meme. 
Did you know that he's now the youngest Briton to finish on an F1 podium and the third youngest driver ever behind only Verstappen and Stroll, who didn't finish? Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. I want to know another story that was told to me by a friend of the show, Adam Johnson. Go he on. was in hospitality for a British Touring Car Championship race weekend, which had what is now British Formula 4 on the ticket. Mm. The hospitality guy that he was with, the guy who was running it, was just like, look... They say that Lando Norris is good, but he's really just a spoiled rich kid. Ooh. You want to know who the real talent is? This guy named Daniel Tick. Oh, <laughs> look where they're at now. <laughs> Norris collecting his first podium. Tickedum, as we'll talk about, trying to put his career back together. Tickedum, lucky to still well, have a career at this point. Um, well, Tickedum's talent was never really the thing in question. Right, more on the F2 side. We, I do have to praise Formula One management and their TV broadcast crew because the way they directed the last two laps was fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. They clearly knew what the story of the race was going to be, and they made sure that everyone knew it. And they had a new graphic this year that had the live delta gap between Norris and Hamilton over the course of that final lap. Of all when the it other... got under five seconds, I was jumping out of my fucking couch. I was like, I was like come on, Lando, come on! And I was like, I was like yes! Go on, son! Because that, that is probably the number one thing you have to do in sports broadcasting. Try to explain something that is absurdly abstract, such as trying to finish ahead of someone who is affected by a time penalty. Right. But don't uh, worry, King. We have car performance ratings for that. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. The, the yeah. active delta, the active delta, which I've wandered in F1 for fucking years now, is excellent. Being used to it from American motorsport. Um, it's like the only good new graphic. The rest of you are so fucking stupid. Yeah, all the other AWS BS that they introduced, <laughs> like, just needs to go. Yeah. Although like, we did get to see, we did get to see exactly just how far off a certain team was in a straight line. Yeah. More on that. Cool. Sebastian Vettel's car rated 19th on straights. I, honestly, I, I went I, I went full Robot Wars and said I thought they were scoring these cars on, on damage control style and aggression. Um, <laughs> and it turns out, like, turns out they wasn't. Um, <laughs> how, how is AWS's work with Major League Baseball and the NFL, like, how is that so good right. and yet this Formula One stuff is just shit? Because, because that's without context. Because the teams don't want their telemetry to be publicly available. Right. So yeah. tell them to suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's always fun. Right, I'll get to the full race order and break down some of the mini stories here we got to. Uh, did we forget to mention that Valtteri Bottas won this thing from lights to flag? Because he won this thing from lights to flag. Well done, Valtteri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember yes. that whole remember that whole thing where we're just like can Red Bull do it? Can Red Bull do it? Can Red Bull do it? No. No, they can't. Mercedes nope. has, on raw pace, at worst, half a second on the field. Yeah. 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 In race and pace, they have more. I'm and not on... even that worried about the one Achilles heel that that car might have, because... They have so much margin in hand. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll be fine. They can... Be... It's like 2014 when they could just run the engines in reliability mode and just drive the fuck away. Yeah, perfect race from Valtteri. He yeah. escaped all the fucking chaos. And it should Good be point. mentioned on Sky's pre-race show, they had a live interview with Daimler CEO Ola Kalenis, mm-hmm. and he he said that 
the company and the team are fully committed to Valtteri Botas, and that <laughs> the rivalry between him and Total Wolf was completely fabricated. Wow. Though I should note that Toto Wolf was sitting right next to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with, with a hand up his butt. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah. Not to mention, every time a company seems to give their driver the seal of approval, they get sacked the next week, so you know. Uh, it, 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 let's, let's, let's hope for the best this time. Yeah, let's. like Let's, let's hope so. But uh, yeah, congrats to Valtteri. Drove a perfect race. Unfortunately, Lewis Hamilton further behind didn't have you know the strategy go his way with all the safety cars that came into play but we're forgetting mm. a very interesting fact despite all the shit slinging at ferrari charles leclerc in second like of course let's charles. tee it up let's tee it up let's talk about ferrari how did they salvage a double points finish out of this that charles leclerc drove the race of his life yep. number one the car didn't break, which is about the only good thing about this car, and we'll get to that in a minute. Mm. And he kept his head on his shoulders when everyone else didn't. Yeah, like, Sometimes honestly, that's enough. if it wasn't for outside circumstances, Charles Leclerc would have been my driver of the day. Honestly, he still probably was my driver of the <laughs> day. He was mine. I mean, I went on the redacted and voted for Charles Leclerc, and he was their highest-rated driver on their site with a 9.3 rating, and I can't blame him for that, because... He had, he had a flawless drive. That was the maximum on the table for Charles that day. And the, the maximum that car had on the table before the safety cars was P7. Right. And he picked his spots, kept his head on, didn't make any mistakes, and and had the race of his life to get to second place. Brilliant performance. Like, I, I know when we talk bikes, we say that Paul Spagaro is the best bad bike driver in the world. Mm. Charles Leclerc might be the best bad car driver in the world. I don't oh, know. No. just mean Sebastian Vettel's not that good. He's gonna have a car set up. So, <sighs> the tale of Sebastian Vettel at the Austrian Grand Prix. This well, car was, start kill- the was trying to kill him all no, week. Let's, oh, and let's Ferrari start gave him beginning. a fruitcake. A fruit no, no let, let's let's start. No, let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning. So, we didn't even get to the Ferrari drama off the track. No, where we didn't. Benotto, Benotto has been saying this was a COVID-related decision. That between that and the budget cap, oh and let's God. keep in mind here that driver salaries are not affected by the budget cap. Yep. That uh, that's the reason why they dropped Vettel. Now we know that that is a pile of bull jive. When we know that Zach Brown came out and said that, no, Carlos Sainz was talking to Ferrari about a contract in December. Number one, we just cycle back. Remember, we don't know exactly when Ferrari was going to announce this. They only announced this because they were pushed. Because someone <laughs> leaked this, someone leaked the story that Sebastian wasn't returning to the media. Yeah, and it was probably Sebastian. Yeah, it yeah was that's the thing. Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Vettel, who. Doesn't, he doesn't really speak much in the media. No. Except about himself and his driving. And he out, as far as we know, we outed, he outed it to the media. And then he arrives and says, yeah, Bonotto's full of shit. They never offered me a contract. Yeah. And if, and if, if it does turns out that Vettel didn't leak this to the media, this is not the most libelous thing that has been said about Sebastian <laughs> Vettel this weekend. No. Hi, no. Andrew Benson. Oh my Thanks God. for deleting that tweet. 
Yeah, yeah about Andrew 24 hours good. after it was originally posted and Twitter put it on as, as a moment on their fucking website. And you incompetent fool! Andrew Benson is a fucking loser. We he all tried to make already. the standing sits a standing seven by putting Vettel in, even though he's clearly standing. Vettel he was on the front row! Architect. He, he helped architect this. Moving on. <laughs> um, Benotto also says before the weekend, before we even see the cars... We are bringing no upgrades because we fucked up with correlation. The car's aerodynamics are fragile. Now, what does that mean? Aerodynamics being fragile means that the car is not reacting the way it was in the wind tunnel and that the car is having aerodynamic stalls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has so much drag that it cannot hit top speed. They were the worst. They were through all that quote-unquote dirty downforce. Wing, fins, elements all over the car, and all they added was drag. Because of those aerodynamic stalls, the car just builds and builds and builds with drag. Doesn't build with downforce. And we we should note, Ferrari put out these statements not after the race, not after qualifying, after practice. Right. No, before was, practice. Before practice. practice. No, no, it was after practice one because it became obvious to everyone when Alfa Romeo at the top of the speed traps and they're at the bottom and they're both running Ferrari power. We- Ferrari was hitting, they were top speed limited to 313 kilometers per hour. They could not crack 200 miles per hour around a power track at high altitude with a Formula One car in the year of our Lord 2020. They were coughing up six miles an hour to Mercedes in a straight line. They were point three down in every first sector before they'd even gotten into the twisty bits. It's worse because they were about, in the race, about 17 kph down on the SF90. Yeah. Last year's car, car. which was established as a car that couldn't take corners for shit, but was a rocket in a straight line. Right. Now they have the opposite problem. Because the car is fine in the corners. Except it really isn't because for all that quote-unquote downforce they added, they added all that drag and they're still middle of the road in cornering performance. They're actually further off. You've seen the onboards from Vettel. It looks like Vettel's driving a... It looks like he's driving a late 90s minority. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's what Stephen J. Bailey noted, uh, uh, noted tractor master and 69-time Formula One world champion. Nice, Steven J. Bailey. Thank you for thank you for listening to li- to our Ferrari podcast. <laughs> oh my this is, fucking this is, god! This is becoming like a weekly counseling session. At this, we point. haven't even gotten out of the first day yet. My yeah, god! Like it, it doesn't matter how fast Ferrari may be in the corners, and again, it's not it's not top of the line speed. It's just enough to be comparable to you know, Red Bull and their peers around that part of the table. That's all gone when you're literally the slowest car in a straight line. Yeah. So, on in, in practice two, a damning chart was released where Vettel was the fastest car through all but one corner, faster, sometimes to the tune of over 5 kph through the apexes than Lewis Hamilton in his Mercedes, and was six tenths of a second down. Yep. You remember we, the Dorkstown episode about the Houston Rockets <laughs> missing all those threes? Oh. You remember they showed the graph of that three-pointer chart just fucking flatlining? It reminded me of that. Yeah. 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 If it wasn't for the speed deficit, 
if Sebastian Vettel was in comparative equipment to Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel would have been faster. But Vettel bad! We're getting to that. Vettel, you know, it's clear the Ferrari's fucked. They're middle of the road. And, as I said earlier, there is no midfield anymore. It's Mercedes, and it's everyone else. Mm. Ferrari are in the pack. But Vettel is ahead of Leclerc, and Ferrari's... His car looks drivable. At worst, it looks drivable. And then we got to Friday. We got to qualifying. And oh my god. Vettel loses... Or Saturday, whatever the fuck. There's no days anymore. It's just yesterday, today, and tomorrow in quarantine. I swear so to God. So qualifying day. Qualifying. Probably. Ferrari, Ferrari, the bottom falls out. Yeah. Yep. It's bad. Vettel is eliminated in Q2, as mentioned earlier. And Charles Leclerc just barely escapes. Yeah. And Charles, Charles says, lucky. Charles comes on the radio and asks, are we oh. safe? He says, yes, we are. P10. And Charles says, that's crazy. <laughs> he, his fastest yeah sorry Sam's got you but his fastest time in Q3 was 0.9 of a second slower than his track record he set last year when he qualified on pole position remember this is yep. the fastest driver com- car combination we had last year given Leclerc had 8 pole positions and won the pole trophy yeah that's the thing last year's Ferrari for all of its faults was a rocket over one lap yeah mm-hmm. now you don't without have that, that Without that, the SF90 was a nothing burger. So, in a a bold attempt to improve their car, somehow they've made it even worse. They made it worse by an order of magnitude. Because Charles goes in to Q3, puts a P7, and after his lap he asks, Was my front wing broken? (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting vibes to that time Jensen Button was driving faster at Fuji without his front wing in a Honda. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and, and the entire, I, I remember Steve Matchett having a blue screen in the commentary box, how that was even possible. <laughs> to get to the race, Charles claws to the field, looks like Vettel's doing the uh, same. Charles doesn't. Charles stays exactly where the fuck he was, because mm. the Ferrari couldn't pass a fucking Yugo in a straight line. Yeah, it was mainly, like, most of Leclerc's position gains were just due to just chaos around him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, uh, it and looked like Vettel had an opportunity to dive one up the inside of Carlos Sainz, but his rear brakes were locking before he got to the corner, and everybody busts out the low effort meme of 2019. Get your B emojis ready. Sebastian Vettel spun in another race. Spinala. Um, yeah, Croft Vettel said it on the broadcast. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was not a good look. Now, Vettel's car was appalling to watch, and what the, the, the what the thought had come out before the race is that Charles just lumped after FP three just lumped as much rear downforce on his car as his car could muster. Yeah, which around a power track at high altitude is not exactly ideal for straight line speed. No, but if you um, want to put that power down earlier than you want to, yeah. But at least his car was. Semi-drivable. Vettel, it looked like, took a little downforce off to try and compensate, and oh my fucking god. Shades of the F-14T. 
it looks like he's driving a late 90s minority with how much he's sawing at the wheel to try and keep this thing on the road and out of a tech pro building. He struggled overtaking Williams. He couldn't overtake a Williams because the car was so slow in a straight line. Then when he got to a corner, he was having to catch the car. And I know you mentioned it, Dre, that... Mm. Obviously, it makes sense that Ferrari would build the car around Leclerc, but this isn't building the car around Leclerc. This is the car having... Fundamental problems. Fundamental aerodynamic problems, where as soon as he turns the wheel, he's having to catch the car. I find it amazing that this F1 community and F1 on Twitter have acknowledged and have, 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 have taken it on board that this Ferrari is shit, and yet they still want to throw Vettel under the bus for spinning out in said shit car. Like because, because Leclerc got P two, but Leclerc got P two due not to the like, end of the world happening around him. And it's because, not even like go ahead. It's not even like because Leclerc got P two. Let's let's back this up. People on Twitter and social media just want to get them fun internet points for making fun of Sebastian Vettel with this meme comment. Yeah, and. Yes, Leclerc got P2. It needed the fucking... Needed the, the planets to align for that to happen. Yeah. But Leclerc said after the race, like, no, this car's awful. Right. Vettel said after the race, when he, I think he scored one point, and yeah, only attempt. because cars in front of him retired. I'm happy I only spun once. This is a four-time Formula One World Drivers Champion saying, I'm happy I'm only spinning once at each race. <laughs> The sooner your happiness in watching F1 no longer revolves around Ferrari's fortunes, the more healthy you will be as a person and as a fan. Fuck this team. <laughs> and, yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the other controversy because remember the whole Ferrari engine row? Yeah. Well, here's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Ferrari, the, the questions came up again because the car is just dog shit in a straight, straight line. It's the worst car in the field. And clearly Alfa Romeo is compensating by racing a car that actually generates lift. Because they were awful in the corners. But they were Haas top of the just has tracks. a car that doesn't stop. Yeah, Haas <laughs> has a car that gets to a certain speed. And they've increased the straight line speed by making it so they can never slow down. The, uh, the ultimate strategy. Well, here's the thing with the Ferrari. When Leclerc made his pass on Perez, when Perez was on dying tires, he was in the slipstream having another car punch a hole in the air. And he exploded by Perez. <laughs> yeah. Right. So clearly the Ferrari engine still has plenty of punch. The car just has so much fucking drag. Without the cornering ability to go along with all that dirty downforce. That it doesn't matter. It's a mess. It's it a mess. mess. It, it, it pretty much looks like... It, it has a, like, a restrictor plate on it. It's like, oh, it's fine in this draft, but the minute you pull out, it's all gone. Yeah. And, I mean, I also think it, it's very clear to see, for me, that Mercedes, Honda, and, well, Renault never had any reliability pool to dip into, so let's not address them. I think Mercedes and Honda have clearly dipped into their reliability margin a little bit to try and run Ferrari down. Mm-hmm. Because Mercedes and Honda both had issues. Um, apparently, Gasly was on the verge of retiring. Yep. Kvyat blew a tire. Both Red Bulls retired. We had Mercedes engine failures. We had Mercedes gearbox troubles. Go- going into the mindset of the teams heading into this weekend, like Christian Horner said it best, were 
Red Bull are taking every race like a cup final. Like, it's either win or go home. Yeah, about that. Because we haven't even gotten to fucking Red Bull yet, but we will in a minute. (laughs) But they weren't, Ferrari weren't the only team to lose pace. Ferrari lost nine tenths of a second from last year on average. Alfa Romeo lost over a second. Haas lost six tenths. Yeah. It's a bad look. It's, it's unacceptable. Williams gained a whole second though. Yeah. We talk about teams mm. gaining time. Racing Point, on I think, if you combine their best sector times, gained a full second. Which, conversely, is the same gap that Mercedes had to Racing Point last year. So it kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Racing Point, who also had upgrades. Um, upgrades that were the Mercedes rear wing from Melbourne, oh. that never got run. Mm-hmm. And the side pod deflectors... Off the W10 from Japan last year. Oh, come on. Oh, man. <laughs> loving, these, loving these hand-me-downs. <laughs> Look at, hey, at least we don't have to crack jokes about Stroll not making it out of Q1 anymore. <laughs> yeah, instead he just got bodied in Q3 by Perez. <laughs> just fine. It's fine. Which, it, it, yeah, he didn't even get a chance because I think he would have had a solid race. As I said, Racing Point raced better than they finished. Red Bull. Let's let Dre wrap this yeah, up. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll tie a neat bow on this and get the, get the story of Rebel in a minute. Also, I've got a cough on me because uh, the neighbors are smoking copious amounts of ganja next door. Um, you, you, <laughs> stay on the damn weed! <laughs> which is what you need if you're still tied to Ferrari. This could, this could be a happens. long hour and a half. But uh, run, the quick rundown, Valtteri Bottas winning the most quiet uh, lights to flag win you'll ever see. Uh, Charles Leclerc was second, 2.7 seconds behind. Lando Norris on the podium, third, beating Hamilton over the line after time deductions by just over a, a tenth of a second. Uh, Carlos Sainz very quietly went about his business in fifth. Uh, Sergio Perez in sixth for Racing Point. Pierre Gasly very quietly there in seventh place for Alfa Tori. Um, the best scoring Red Bull. How do you feel, Helmet? Yeah, suck it. Uh, Esteban Ocon in eight for Renault. Antonio Giovinazzi. He's back. Yeah, Ocon's back. We all just quietly forgot about that. And the fact that he apparently... Oh, consistency, baby. He's got half my first last name. Yes. <laughs> yes, you'll have to see it. Antonio Giovinazzi in ninth. Sebastian Vettel, tenth out of the 11 cars that saw the checkered flag. Um, he was struggling to get past George Russell at one point on soft tyres. Let that be a message for you. Um, Nicholas Latifi, very unlucky. All he needed was one more DNF and he would have scored a point on his debut. <laughs> Can you just say, Williams, if if Russell, if a race like this doesn't happen again and Russell can't get back to P11, Latifi's ahead of him in the championship. Again, oh, my God. oh, no. After Russell was destroying him this weekend. He whooped that ass. He whooped that Canadian ass. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, Latifi still ended up finishing better because God hates George Russell. Um, <laughs> the little Kivy, ha- <laughs> as mentioned, he was the nine DNFs mentioned one more time from the top. Max Verstappen had had an electronic failure on lap 11. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, his car overheated and died on lap 17. Lance Stroll, his 
engine died. He had to pull over to one side and park it on lap 20. Kevin Magnussen had a spectacular brake failure into turn three at 170 miles an hour and nearly took Ocon with him on lap 24. Romain Grosjean had the exact same brake failure on lap 49, um, and he had to park it in the garage. That very same lap, George Russell had a fuel pressure problem. He didn't make it out. That caused the second safety car. That was on lap 49 as well. Kimi Raikkonen's wheel fell off on the first lap of the restart on lap 53. That that course safety car number three. Uh, Alex Albon had the exact same electronics failure that Verstappen did five laps from the flag, but technically he still counts as a finisher because he still completed over 90% distance. So he actually is a finisher in 13th place, as is 12th place Daniel Kvyat, who three laps from the end had a spectacular rear suspension failure. No, it was not. It was a tire delamination. Word to 2016 Sebastian Vettel. Oh, Christ. One of those again. Uh, they're always yeah. fun. Uh, yeah, so he was 12th in the end. He DNF'd on lap 69. Not nice. Um, so, yeah, only nice. 11 cars took the checkered flag in that one. Lols all round. Red Bull. Valtteri Bottas leads the Drivers' Championship with 25 points. Yep. Duh. Charles Leclerc second on 18. Lando Norris has 16 points instead of 15 because remember he also set the fastest lap of the race on the final lap. It's the first time since the the, the point for fastest lap rule that it didn't go to one of the big three. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah, McLaren. We didn't even mention McLaren. McLaren were, on terms of raw pace, just a tiny bit behind Racing Point, but they had a good weekend. They Dude, they're second in the constructor standings. Yeah. This is their highest constructor standing since what? When they led to start 2014? Remember yeah. when yeah, McLaren yeah. led the constructors at the beginning of the turn? Shout out to era. Kevin Magnussen, second in Australia. What a time. You love to see What it. a time. You love to be alive. Now, I had to mention this as well. That's as well. A couple of extra fun facts. First new British podium sitter for Lando Norris since Lewis Hamilton's debut in 2007. So uh, we wow. So yeah, that's the first. That was the last time we had a new Brit on the podium. 13 and a half years ago, yeah. nearly. It's just kind of crazy. Like so. I still remember. We've done like early on in our show's run. We we had many a conversations asking like, "Hey, are there going to be any British drivers after Lewis retires?" And now we could potentially. You've got one that could be elite, and we've got another one beneath him that just needs a better car. By the looks of it, turns out the future was bright. Although after all. on countback, <laughs> though on countback, Williams have a better car than Red Bull. Hey, yeah, I was gonna. We need to address Red Bull because Red Bull. Talked all that shit in quarantine. Said, we're going to be on Merck's pace. We've got a ton of upgrades. They were slower than last year in qualifying. To the tune of about four, I think four hundredths? 38,000ths of a second? It's marginal. They made no forward progress. They had two electric issues. What did I say when I thought the season was going to start in Melbourne? They had to get a hot start. This is a cold start. You have to have, you have to be on Merck's throat to even have a, a prayer. Red Bull were half a second off in qualifying. They were talking through the weekend like, oh yeah, we had a front wing issue. We'll be closer to the pace. And then they were further off the pace. Right. The car looked like a death trap the first two days. 
And Who's the bigger double. underachiever, Ferrari or Red Bull? Yes, Ferrari. <laughs> but but I think for I think Ferrari has taken the pound for pound worst team in F one from Red Bull, but only temporarily, because you know I what think we it's knew game of hot potato. We knew Ferrari was in trouble going into this weekend. We didn't expect Red Bull to show up and just get clapped. They 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 they, they had their cheeks thoroughly clapped on this occasion, and hopefully that will humble Christian Horner. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Of course it won't. Um, so that pretty much ties up a completely goddamn hectic, mad Austrian Grand Prix. I gave it an 8 out of 10 on the scale. It was very much a very similar situation to Brazil, where it was like a 5 out of 10 race with an 11 out of 10 finish. Um, it's what it, we needed this. As, the as A-Y-F-K-M out of 10. Oh yeah. The are you fucking kidding me The finish stamp. made this. The finish is what made this a palpable race. No, I would this. say, like, we besides the, besides the, the finish, there was decent racing throughout the field for yeah, was, most of the race. It was okay. I will say high altitude, modern F1 cars. There was hella dirty air gaps. Yep. Should we do this again next week? Sounds yes, good. because next this weekend we have... Austrian Grand Prix 2, Electric Boogaloo. The Steiermark edition. Yay. This totally isn't confusing. <laughs> uh, any predictions? Carnage. More Mercedes um, W's? Give me more, give me more chaos. I have embraced chaos in my life this F1 season. I want more of it. Well, we're going to have softer tire compounds for this weekend. So. Oh, yeah. Peretti, yeah, Peretti listened. Let's go. <laughs> that's, All right. That's very promising indeed. Peretti's, so Peretti's bringing the C345 instead of the 234. Yep. Excellent. That's, oh, I'm here for That's this. what I like. Tire wear, baby. It's your love. Before we get into F2 and F3, uh, do we want to talk about the other big news of the day? Shall I we? guess we can. I guess we Fred can. Back. Uh. <laughs> Fred back. Yes, after after actually months of him teasing that it was a possibility, it's finally been announced. Fernando Alonso is returning to the FIA Formula One World Championship for a third stint at Renault on a two-year deal. The third one. <laughs> yes, the third one. The trifecta. Uh, man, this... It, it didn't feel like it was going to happen until it happened. No, it, 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 it kind of felt like it was going to happen when a couple days prior it had leaked that Sir Labitable had addressed the team and said, some of our veterans of over 15 years will remember working with this driver. Oh, Hanky Kovalainen. Hanky back. Fizzy, fizzy back, boys. Fizzy's coming back. <laughs> Jensen, Petrov, Jensen Button. I, I just want to imagine some engineer saying, oh my god, Fisichella's coming back. And then it's all... <laughs> oh shit, we got you, Jack you know, back. You know Cyril. You know Cyril would have fired him on the spot. <laughs> oh yeah. No no, no question. Uh, but yeah, we got to talk. Alonso's back. 
I woo. This 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 feels <laughs> like this feels like a Jordan on the Bulls moment. I mean Jordan on the Wizards moment. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> it it feels like. What are what are we expecting from this? Exactly, it's like, I would like I'm literally it is almost a one for one comparison. Like there's literally no reason for Jordan to come back to the Wizards. Now there's no reason for Fernando Alonso to come back to to Reno, except for maybe like maybe Dre- the, the team will do the better because he's there for the chatter. Yeah, he's also here for money. Yeah, it's but, one last uh, big paycheck. But it, it feels like. Alonzo, Alonzo knows he can't. He's probably not going to win another Grand Prix. Probably not going to. I mean, he, maybe when the regulations change, he's hoping for that. It'll but, be astounding if he gets a podium on this car, this team. Like I, I, it really feels like he's holding out for the second year on that two-year deal. Right. I, for what I don't know. What are we really? What are we realistically expecting out of this? When ninth place finishes. Last time we saw Fernando Alonso in Formula One, it was roaring on the radio about a dog shit McLaren Renault in 2018. After following a crap McLaren Honda for three years and a crap Ferrari in 2014. I, I think in terms of the team, the reason why Cyril made this decision would be in, in an effort to make it as difficult as possible for this team to die. Make it as hard as possible for Renault to decide to pull the plug. Because if they have someone with the, uh, with the broad appeal of, as Fernando Alonso, someone who Chase Carey and Liberty Media tried to convince to not retire back in 2018, uh, I, I, I think that... Even if Renault choose to pull the plug, someone will will easily swoop in by the team simply because Fernando Alonso is there. It's big name business, boys. <laughs> Look, I, I again, I, I okay. Well, how much is that publicity gonna be worth when five races into the year he's gonna be yelling? I, I don't want to say fuel. That's I'm already where, that's where the problems coming. That's where I like this. This could this could easily it backfire. Feels, it just feels pointless. It feels like we've been here already. I, I I I don't even know where to really start on this one because it's just like it just feels so redundant to me. It's like you're a middle of the road Formula One team with a big name and has been largely underachieving for the last couple of years. This just seems like a desperate last roll of the dice from Renault more than anything else. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not <laughs> yeah. I'm not even saying Alonso is cooked because I can't say that for certain. He's not been in the sport for two years. And we're talking well, and he about... He hasn't been cooked in his other driving endeavors, right. such as... You know, like, like I, I, haven't got an, I haven't got enough evidence. It's not a question of Alonso's driving ability. But what does he bring to the team besides... Like, cause like we, saw, we saw the second stint with McLaren, and he got miserable, and he dragged that car down the pecking order as the years had gone by, to the point where he damaged Honda's reputation so much, Honda was like, we don't want to work with him anymore. You know, like, we vetoed him from driving one of the cars for the Indy 500 this year. Like, that's how much damage... Yeah, like, that's how much damage Alonso has done for the Honda brand. 
Like we we haven't even gotten to like the the outside implications of this, where if Renault, because obviously McLaren is dropping Renault engines and moving to Mercedes next year, which if that car is as fast with a Renault boat anchor in the back, hoo hoo. You know, if they're competing against Renault, that's one more team down the drain potentially that Alonso can't drive for at the five hundred if he can't get it get it done this year, because yeah. Honda ain't giving him a ride. <laughs> and if he's in direct competition to McLaren, are they going to give him a ride? Probably not. No, because he's no, he's no he's no longer a part of an, a, a part of the team as an ambassador either. So, well, he wasn't, and then Honda said no, and then he came back. But obviously, next year it's probably going to end as well. I I don't get this. I just I just I don't understand this move. It's just. Like, even if you're an Alonso fan, and this, and hey, how's that for convenient? We have one on the show. Um, like, <laughs> what joy or pleasure could could come from this, given that he's probably going to be a minor level point scorer like he was at McLaren for the second half of his career the last time round? RJ, the floor is yours. <sighs> you want to know my honest opinion? Go for it. I think you're right about all this. I think that there is nothing to look forward to unless somehow Renault F1 team, who have shown no direction of stepping up from mid-pack at best, hit the jackpot with their 2022 car and somehow build a championship caliber, at least a car that's capable of wins and podiums. Right. There's nothing to look forward to other than that pipe dream. Because I've seen... Five straight years of midfield Alonso. It's not as cool as rookie minority Alonso. I've had my fill of this. I'm out. I'm out on this. I'm having more fun rooting for the Zoomers, and that includes <laughs> even the ones that are being a bit thick at the moment. And yet here we are. I would love to see a Alon- I, I I would love to see Alonso do well. It would be one of the better comebacks if it was, but I remain pessimistic. I think his upside is a smattering of sits through 13th place finishes, coupled with a bunch of what? mechanical failures and some memes on the radio. That's it. What does he, That's what what he, does he bring? To. Now, obviously, they banked on Daniel Ricciardo being their guy, and yeah. Daniel spent a year in the team and said, fuck this, I'm going to McLaren. Do you know how many rental employees right now are thinking like, wow, you didn't have the money to pay us and keep us employed, but you got all this money to throw to Alonzo after you already set Ricardo's money on fire in a moving dumpster? Yeah, like where is... Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense from a it, driver it's, perspective. It's, yeah, from a driver perspective, it doesn't make any sense. In terms of keeping the team afloat until the cost cap comes into effect, yeah, it makes 100% sense. But then you have Renault's Young Driver Academy, which... They claim to care about, and they have not promoted anyone since what? Romain Grosjean? Yeah, in Grosjean. 2009, when he had bird hair. When he had bird hair, when he was the crash-prone mess that everyone memes him that he is. And then when he came back for realsies in F1, they weren't even Renault anymore. They were Lotus, and they were operating on a, a shoestring budget that was being consumed because Kimi Raikkonen kept... He just kept scoring points. Yeah, because if Juan Yuzhou wins the F2 title this year, now where do you put him? He, yeah, it, that's, it's a that's dead that's end. The issue. So, like, that's the thing about any driver academy that they don't exist to develop one specific driver. 
They're they're there to keep pumping out drivers for when you need them. If you don't need them, you cast them aside. Some people are more gentle about this than others, but it happens in every driver academy. It, we clown Red Bull all the time. We clown uh, Mercedes for not promoting their young talent, but Renault hasn't even touched their young talent. Because what Renault likes to do is that, like, if if they know they don't have a star driver early on, they just drop that driver within a the first year or so, so, like, it's not a big name you've heard of, so you don't really know or care when they get dropped. Now, now you've got their Formula 2 star who just got pole and only lost the race because of a technical glitch, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. Get so, basically, Guan Yu Zhao needs to finish in the top four of the championship mm. to have a super license, to qualify for a super license next season. Guan Yu Zhao was not in their academy two years ago. He was he was a lifelong member of the Ferrari Driver Academy, and he was yeah. also one of the other casualties of Charles Leclerc's rise. Uh, so, from like 2014 when he was in karting, all the way up to the end of 2018 he was in the Ferrari Driver Academy, Renault picked him up thinking that this would be a big win for them in the Chinese market. And now we're at this point where, like, he only needed to have like one good year in F2 to get a super license, uh, he was just short last year. Uh, this year, again, just he's finished in top four and he gets the super license. But again, you're banking on him finishing the top four. They couldn't, they couldn't sign him now if they wanted to. In an ideal scenario, I would take the absolutely batshit insane risk of bringing Fernando Alonso in to replace Cyril Beatable as team principal of Renault with the driver lineup of Esteban Ocon and Guan Yu Zhou because could it really get any worse in the direction that they don't seem to be going? So, Uh... I'm willing to make one minor case against them not signing Zhao because they have another driver in their academy who currently has enough points for a super license but probably isn't ready for Formula One. Christian Lundgaard could get a super license right now. Uh, He's he's completely qualified. He's completely qualified for a super license based on his performance over the previous three seasons. 17, 18, and 19. He has enough points. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Christian Lundgaard's good. Yeah, he's good. But would you say he's ready for Formula One? Which, how would you feel if you were Guayu Zhao and someone with far less experience than you gets the F one seat because they needed someone who just had the who just Fuck had it. enough points? Start a satellite Renault team. Start an Alpine F one. Put Alonso at the helm or something. Do, do something interesting if you really want to show you care about the the junior program or something. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about Alonso coming back about as a driver. I'm sure physically and mentally he's still quick, but this ain't it, Chief. This isn't what Renault needs. No. No, it's not. This isn't what either party needs. I'm still gonna fucking watch it. <laughs> we all know, we all know what, what Alonso's hunting for. We all know he wants that third title. It's not happening here. Like, I'm in the camp that... This is what Renault needs, but this is certainly not what they want. I think it's the other way around. 
I think yeah, abs- I'm, a, I'm with Dre. On I this think one. they wanted Alonso because it's a big name pull and it will sell some merchandise and it will screw some eyeballs in Spain back to back to the team and that's always a plus because Alonso is a massive name and he has a cult hive on the internet that adores him. So like, I, I think on the other hand, honestly, if he wanted to keep costs down, hire a solid driver and have a bit more longevity. Why didn't they give Nico Hulkenberg another ring? So because I don't think he would have picked up the phone, to be honest. That like I, I should point out, besides the the ongoing financial crisis, there's another reason why Renault need to make their team hard to pull the plug on. Uh, there's been recent developments in the Carlos Ghosn case. Oh, where yeah. Uh, We'd, where Carlos uh, Ghosn do crimes. Where Carlos Ghosn might have been right the whole time where he might have actually been framed. Uh, not not framed as in, hey, he didn't actually do... He definitely did do his crimes. But <laughs> there's a chance that... <laughs> there's he a chance did do good, that... Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance that Nissan and probably Renault knew the whole time and didn't inform authorities until Nissan executives felt like it was the nuclear option to prevent a Nissan-Renault merger. What? And, uh, yeah. (laughs) And if anyone at Renault is implicated in being complicit in Carlos Ghosn's crimes, um, there could be a lot bigger issues on the horizon at Renault. I was going to say, like, isn't that well, like conspiracy? Like, isn't that like a conspiracy yes, fraud? Yeah, I was going to say, like, what? <laughs> so, so when you when you're talking about, hey, why is why is the F1 team not trying to save money after you know losing Ricardo? That that's why they need to become an asset because if they don't, they could be the first thing to get dropped. Oh my good god, why? It's like I, mean, it's, I didn't know how much of a mess this shit was. I underestimated it. Yeah, because obviously it's easy to distance from the F one team because like it's just you know Carlos going doing wild things. It's like hey, no leak emails show that a lot of people might have been complicit in this, and it goes a lot deeper than one dude. Nissan Red Alliance do crimes <laughs> together. <laughs> They're all in this. It's, it's it's like on this podcast, Renault is just an increase. It, it, it's like the explosion from Invader Zim, where it's just exploding really, really slowly. So, King, I think your banana bet's safe. I know we didn't renew it this year, but uh, yeah, it's safe. Boston, but yes, they, they, they have. They basically they they have Fernando Alonso to remind people of when Renault were a good, decent company that did not do the bad things. Um. I'm so sick of these people. <laughs> Shall we you go know? on the Formula 2 and F3? Ooh. Yes, please. Before we all lose our minds. Oh, I think before we move on, we should mention uh, the little teaser that Alonso had at the back of his return video. Well, what was that? that hey, uh... There, there's a documentary coming about Alonzo. I guess Amazon Prime was like, hey, we need our own version of The Last Dance. Yeah, but he's not the GOAT, so what's the point? <laughs> Has Fernando Alonso ever eaten uh, takeout pizza from Salt Lake City that may have been tainted? Oh. Oh, man. Someone did pit. Someone did tell him to pit early in a race one time. Wonder how that played out. Mm, nope. I'm not familiar not familiar. <laughs> Should we yeah. talk about some F2 and F3 next? Good idea.
So far with you guys, oh man, the highlight of the Grand Prix race schedule is back. That was back. So, bit of catch up. Uh, new 18-inch tires, 18-inch yep. wheels, same car, same race format, including only flipping the top eight from the feature race when the top <laughs> ten score points. You've had this top ten scoring system for 11 years now. Right. And... The race format still hasn't adapted. Yeah. I learned that after the feature race. Yeah. Qualifying, Guan Yu Zhou, we just talked about him, takes a, takes pole position. Broke out the belt. <laughs> he really did. Yeah. He is he Formula just... Scout's number one pick to win the title this year. He is your reigning FIA Formula 2 Antoine Hubert Award winner for Rookie of the Year. Um, it looked like he and Cal Milot were going to be on for victory. Uh, Al, I look got a great start. Yeah. Yep. The start was, of ages. Oh, my goodness. And it looked like it was going to be those two versus Mick Schumacher for the race win. Uh, until... Ooh. King, what happened? It, it still hasn't been confirmed what happened. But, you know, coming around turn six, you know, that really high-speed left-hander... Hmm. Mick's car just goes straight on and just his race is over. Yeah. And that happened right after a safety car. Yeah. Now, he, didn't re- he didn't retire from it, but yeah, I but believe it he did. finished, what, 11th? He finished 11th, and that effectively ruined his prospects of getting another podium. Uh, Joe, by the way, was uh, just... He... His car glitched out for a bit. There were a lot of mechanical gremlins the point where former f2 drivers were taking shots about it on twitter <laughs> luca giotto didn't even make the start of the feature race well, yeah. it is it is not acceptable for a spec you made it a point to go to with these spec cars and mm-hmm. specify all of these suppliers and this is what the third year of this car and they keep mm-hmm. blowing the fuck up yes because first year was the clutch yeah because Formula 2 doesn't really have their own bespoke engine. It is an engine produced by Mechachrome, who, who formally assembled Renault's F1 engines in the of the previous generation of the Red Bull Vettel era. Uh, basically, these F2 engines are, are essentially Formula 3's current engines with the turbocharger bolted onto them. Same engine, I believe, that is Mechachrome's uh, base for their LMP1 engine. You know, yes. the LMP1 engine that a couple of teams took a look at and said, this isn't going to last 24 hours. Yeah. Chiado didn't start. Sato only made it two laps. Galeo broke down. Markelot broke down. That brought out the safety car from which undid Schumacher's race. Yeah. Joe had a uh, technical issue. Um, and then, of course, you had the Carlin boys. Tsunoda and Daravala, who were Ooh. quick all weekend, and then Yuki Tsunoda decided to hit Jahan Daruvala with a fucking Roman Reigns spear out of nowhere going into the second quarter. <laughs> out of spear by Reigns! <sighs> Daravala would pick this up in the sprint race, but more on that later. Y'all, Callum Island looked fantastic. Yeah, it's it, an all it's Ferrari Driver Academy podium sweep, so hey, <laughs> you know, if the F1 team's not doing so good... No, Ferrari should just drop down to F2. It's clearly much more successful for them. Clearly more successful. Like, over the course of the, over the, course of the season, it's clearly going to be Eilat, 
Uh, it's going to be Island Joe at Universioso, formerly Russian time. Like, this team is ready to go and win races. Mm. And both Island and Armstrong, Marcus Armstrong, who went from 13th to 2nd, uh, mm. Island and Armstrong are showing Sh- Schumacher and Schwartzman are the, aren't the only dudes in the FDA. Yeah. And to be fair, Schwartzman had a solid race himself. But that's the thing about this FDA bottleneck. We put so much attention on Schumacher. It's like we're basically handling handing Mick Schumacher an Alfa Romeo seat before we've even started this F2 season. And I'm thinking like, hold on, are we overlooking Schwartzman? And then we're like, hold on, we're overlooking <laughs> all these other three dudes. They have a war chest of young talent in F2 right now. And no, I guarantee you, not not, but maybe one or two of them is going to make it to F one. The yeah. rest of them may be wanting to call up some Formula E teams here. No, nah, I'm I'm, I'm can... gonna I'm ready. Swartzman, come to GT three for the SMP. King, that's <laughs> selfish, no, no, and you know no, it. Head up that. <laughs> that's so self indulgent. <laughs> Paul, for for the um, the fabled Ferrari Lamar Daytona project. <laughs> We mentioned oh. Christian Lundgaard. Uh, he finished fourth, and that wasn't an insignificant result considering he had, like... Was I about to, am I right in thinking that this weekend was the first time he ran on the 18-inch wheels? I believe so. Uh, yeah, it's Lundgaard's first weekend in F2. Because remember, yes. he was quarantined out of the preseason test, yeah. which feels like 72 years ago. <laughs> it was 72 Ka- years ago, what do you mean? Uh Callum Eilert wins by 8.8 seconds over Marcus Armstrong in second, Robert Schwartzman in third, and boy, King, I got flashbacks to F3 last year when Armstrong and Schwartzman were racing wheel-to-wheel, didn't oh, you? Yeah. I thought that was going to end in confetti. Yep, I thought somebody was going to go off, yep. but thankfully, they didn't. <laughs> Christian Lundgaard fourth, Dan Tictum finishes fifth, Giuliano Alessi, one of a couple of hard chargers going from 18th on the grid, finished sixth. On his day de- debut with HWA, uh, Louis Delatraz in seventh. Felipe Dragovic finishes eighth and takes the reverse grid pole. Nobuhara Matsushita in ninth, and Roy Nissany, who somehow has aspirations of getting F one, takes the last point in tenth ahead of Mick Schumacher by half a second. And the sprint race was a little less eventful. A lot more safety cars. Uh, yeah. Marcus Armstrong broke down, which kind of hurts him in the points uh Giuliano Alessi's engine went in fuego a couple laps in big in fuego uh Galeo and Giotto retired because of a fucking collision with Darvala which also ruined Joe's race because he got caught up in it and he finished 14th so a 17th and a 14th finish for a for the for the consensus number one pick to win the title. Right. That's yep. not a good start. Not not a good start at all. Uh, though, big shout out to Felipe Drugovich, who, you know, despite the race being shortened to, sa- to you know, buy a safety car, because of everyone being bunched up by the safety car, he was under constant threat the whole race, but no one could touch him. He, old, in Formula 3 last year, Felipe Drogovic had just a single point scoring finish, and it was a sixth place in race one at Hungary. He was a virtually a non-prospect going into this, and now he has a sprint race victory to his credit. Head of Louis Delatraz in second, and Dan Tictum finishing third. 
with his first F2 podium. Uh, proving that it wasn't his talent that was in question. <laughs> fourth, Lundgaard fifth, Matsushita sixth. Uh, held off Mick Schumacher, uh, who finished seventh, and Jack Aitken finished now, eighth. Mick Schumacher held himself off because yeah. he was all over that ass, and he wanted he didn't want to go for a risky overtake, so he chose to not overtake at all. Yeah, pretty much. He tried to do what Albon did later in the weekend, where... Trying to pass Nobu, he constantly, you know, tried to look, just run the racing line, try to pass him around the outside. When it was clearly not working, he didn't have a plan B. That was only plan of attack, and it hurt him dearly. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, I know, I know, Mick, your fa- sometimes your father's passes weren't always the cleanest, but maybe, maybe take a few more chances. Just the thought. Uh, good weekend for Callum Eilert. He leads by, with 27 points. Schwartzman second on 23 points. Drogovic third on 21 points. Tickton fourth on 20 points. Louis Delatraz with 18 points. The same number as both Armstrong and Lundgaard sits in seventh on countback, respectively. Alessi is eighth on eight points. Matsush does ninth on six points. Though Guan Yuzhou didn't finish any of the races, he still has the four points from his pole position in the feature race, and that brings him to 10th in the standings. <sighs> and that is Formula 2, which is always the highlight of any dull F1 weekend. Formula 3, maybe not so much, but it's worth talking about too, yeah. ain't it? Because right. we got to talk about the Renault Academy in Formula 3. We're going to talk about the <laughs> Renault Academy again? <laughs> Another one. Because EuroCup Formula Renault champion... Oscar Piastri showed up on debut, and man, oh man, he stopped the field. <laughs> what that ass. Early drama, though. Sebastian Fernandez, who had scored no points at all last year, suddenly rocks up and takes pole position and collides with Piastri on the opening lap. Yep. His race is done. His race is done. <laughs> Piastri does drive on, though. He does have a fantastic race. It's a Prima. One, two, four. Piastri. Logan Sargent in second. USA! <laughs> and Frederick Vesti, your yep. reigning Formula Regional European champion. And fourth, but he is behind. One of the better stories of the weekend. Alex, Alex Peroni is back. Yeah! Alex Peroni is back in a the damn moment. big way. <sighs> for, for those who don't remember how Peroni's... Uh, Year ended last year at Monza in Formula Airborne 3. and upside down and on top of a fucking tire barrier in the sprint yep. race at Monza. Oh. So this is first race back in 10 months. He qualifies well in, the, in race one and holds off another consensus title favorite in Frederick Vesti for the final podium position. It's a shame his car broke down in race two. Could have been a big, big points weekend for him, but he's yep. still fourth in the standings. Uh, the sprint, uh, race two, the sprint was a bit more the same. Another first-time winner, Liam Lawson of the Red Bull Junior team. You know, that that <laughs> junior team that we all assumed was bare after they cleared out everybody but Verstappen and Gasly? Remember them? Right. They're back. <laughs> back at They're it. back. They're back at it. Liam Lawson wins race two ahead of Macau Grand Prix winner Richard Vashur in second. And Brit- Franco-British driver Clement Novelak 
an inductee into the surnames who sound like prescription drugs Hall of Fame. Right. Clement Novelak from Reverse Grip Poll finishes third ahead of David Beckman. He's back. Liram Dentelli, Frederick Vesti, Alexander Smolliar, and Oscar Piastri. Piastri holds the points lead, 30 points. Liam Lawson second on 23. Sargent third on 18. Peroni and Vesti tie. 17 points apiece round out the top five. F3, maybe not as exciting as F2, but... Yeah. I'm just here for the drama, including one driver who didn't even finish in the top, well, top 20 in race one, or in the top mm. 15 in race two. Sophia Forrest is out mid-air, hate talking that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, there's only one important Schumacher. Oh my fucking god. Yeah. I also want to shout out as well Igor Fraga, oh, the yes. esports champion, coming back from Gran Turismo legend. 30th on the grid to finish 16th in the feature race. Does account for points, but that is a good-ass performance. And Great hey, points. just like just like F1, we do this all again next week in F2 and F3. Oh, man. More Spielberg I don't know. Racing. Nothing's going to beat an American on the podium on 4th of July. Uh, King's America well, is just intensified. <laughs> Quick, we 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 have to we have. I was do we have to end the show before King's America's at half mast? <sighs> oh lord, <sighs> that's okay. You'll get to hear about the thing that's even more American on the next episode. Oh goody. Okay. Yeah. Suffice to say, American pride is a little bit low these days. <laughs> more on that later. <laughs> Can't, 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 I don't know, can't relate. Sh- should I tie this first episode up? <sighs> yes. Good idea. Yes, um, just, 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 we just crossed the two-hour mark. Check back uh, later this week for the second part of this, where we'll be talking about IndyCar and wrapping up all the news from late June and early July. There's a whole bunch of it, some rather explosive. But in the meantime, I've been Andre Harrison, they've been RJ O'Connell, uh, Cam Buckley, and Ryan Eric King. See you back for part two. But until then... Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. My 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 heart and my head are racked with a bunch of bullshit. I know I'm gonna subject myself to another fucking two seasons. At least. <laughs> At least two seasons. At least. Please don't you fucking bury Esteban Ocon out of this. <laughs> We're keeping that for the post credits. <laughs> oh man. I'll never, I'll never forget you, Stoffel. Especially next time I see you at a formerly paddock, Stoffel. <laughs> and Anna DeFerrin. Don't forget her. <laughs> Just remember, Stoffel's the one who actually won here. Oh, damn. Oh, man. <laughs>